and welcome to the Marysville Church of Christ podcast. My name is Bishop Darby, and I will be your host today for the 20 questions segment. We have gotten in roughly two dozen questions in the last 24 hours, and I'm really excited that many of you are sending in your questions and having things that you'd like to consider. Uh, let me remind you that my email is bishopdarbyministries at gmail.com. And I will always do my best to respond to you um, either via email or through this podcast with the answer to your questions. Never hesitate to, to reach out to me and ask anything you'd like. We're going to start this week off with a longer podcast than usual as we address a very challenging question that has been asked by three different people since we started the show. The question is, why does a loving God send people to hell. Why does a loving God send people to hell? This is a hugely challenging question, and I'd like to do it justice by establishing the problem at hand. First, I'd like us to consider the moral objections that people raise to hell, and how on the surface it does seem quite odd. Let me ask you this. There is a 15-year-old boy who has never in his entire life done anything wrong. Not one time has he done anything wrong. As he's driving home from school one day, his parents call and ask if he has any homework. Johnny, deciding that he wants to spend time with his friends, decides for the first time in his entire life to lie and tells his parents, in fact, he doesn't have homework. And then he gets hit by a car. On Judgment Day, he stands before God, having only sinned once in his life. And God decides that that one moment, that one moment of sin, that one moment of separation, that one instantaneous lie was enough to object his soul, or subject his soul rather, to eternal punishment. How could a loving God, a just God, or a fair God, do something so heinous, something so evil, something so despicable. Questions like that have been raised for the better part of a decade by a variety of atheists. Many books have been written talking about this monstrous view of God, a God who could subject a human that he claims to love to eternal conscious torment and fire for sin. And I would like to... Uh, to start today by saying we need to lean into this. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Some of you out there listening to me right now may be Christians, and maybe this question is nothing more than you have a couple minutes on your commute and you wanted to pass some time, so you threw on the podcast. Maybe to some of you, this is a huge, earth-shattering question that challenges you and keeps you up at night. Maybe you have no faith at all, and this question has completely put a wedge between you and any potential in faith. Wherever you are, I'd like us to lean into this question by realizing that it is a tough one. And if that view of God was correct, if that view of God was correct, then it would be truly hard to love him. But is that view of God correct? Is our view of hell correct? Let's, uh, let's jump into this today in a kind of a weird place. Earlier in the podcast series, we answered the question, does God punish people? And I'd like to revisit this idea of divine punishment. If you haven't yet listened to that podcast, you may want to. 
before you jump into this. Throughout the Bible, there are three precedents that we see with regards to punishment. Three reasons why God punishes people. And I want to remind us that God punishing is not actively raising his hand in aggression towards us, but as we mentioned in the previous podcast, is simply allowing the wages of sin to have its effect. The wages of sin, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is death. And so sin will always end in death and destruction. God doesn't have to actively punish, simply allow us to fall into our sins. If we push God away, sin is the only thing left, and sin will always lead to death. So there's three times in the Bible that divine punishment is used, meaning divine withdrawal, God walking away from someone or being pushed back from someone. The first is so that they can find healing. Throughout the exiles, we see this motif played out a lot. The Israelites push away God. God laments and cries out to them, begging them to not do this. But eventually their rebellion is so much that they shove God completely out of the picture. And God, with a broken heart, has to walk away and watch as his people are captured and put into exile. But even in the midst of this exile, God says things like this. For though you have been punished, the Lord will extend his hand to recover the remnant of his people. Isaiah 11. Or Isaiah uh, 61, 1 and 2. That though the people are bound up, God will comfort all those who mourn. It's this desire that he has that even in the midst of punishment, that the punishment always leads to a purpose of healing. Perhaps most clear is a beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 26, where Isaiah writes, On that day the Lord bandages his people's injuries and heals the wounds that have been inflicted. It's always God's intent that if he does get forced back, if he has to walk away because of the evil of people, he hopes that it'll wake them up and so they can return. The first thing we see about divine punishments in the Bible is that they're always designed to heal. Second, we see that sometimes they're designed to refine. In Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 7, God says, I will refine them and assay them. For what else can I do because of the daughter of my people? In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 25, he writes, I will also turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lyre and will remove all your alloy. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10, I have refined you, but not as in silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. We see here that in these situations, God's desire is not to punish, but as the people push him back, he hopes that the jarring nature of their sins, the consequences that rain upon them will be so much, so great as to burn away the dross and make them more beautiful than they've ever been before. And thirdly, we see about divine punishment that the ultimate outcome, if there is nothing left to be done, if it's impossible to heal or to refine, then God's third option is to simply allow sin to destroy. We see that in Genesis chapter 6 with the flood of earth. Earth became so corrupted, so, uh, so far gone, so beyond repentance, that he couldn't heal or refine. So God allowed sin to destroy. Genesis chapter 19, in Sodom and Gomorrah, we see that. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, or in Hosea chapter 11, we see that with the cities of Adma and Zeboam. In Jeremiah chapter 48, we see that with the nation of Moab over and over and over again. 
if there's no way to heal, which is God's first choice, or to refine God's second choice, then God is only left with the third option to destroy. So why would I start a podcast on answering why does God send people to hell with that? Because if that's the way God always punishes, if that's the way God always punishes, wouldn't it stand to reason then that hell would serve that same purpose? That hell, the ultimate consequence of sin, would resemble the other forms of divine punishment in the Bible. This leaves us with an interesting paradox. An interesting paradigm, rather. As many of us growing up in the church have been taught a view of hell and that always involves eternal conscious torment, it kind of flies in the face of what this, what the biblical precedent on divine punishment is. So what do we do with that? Well, I think what we're forced to do is to consider the fact that we don't actually know as much about hell as we think we do. <laughs> we don't actually know all that much at all about hell. In fact, of the dozens and dozens of pictures that we get of hell in the New Testament, it often varies. Sometimes it is a furnace that burns away entirely the chaff. Sometimes it is a garbage pile. Sometimes it is a dark void. Sometimes it is a place with worms. Sometimes it is a lake of sulfur. Sometimes it is water. Sometimes it is fire. Sometimes it is nothing. So what are we doing with all of these different images of hell? Well, I think it would be foolish of us as Christians to prioritize some images over other images. I think the reality is we don't know what hell will be like. It is impossible for us to know what hell will be like. But what we can definitively know, without a shadow of a doubt, of, is who God is. We can always know that. We know that God is a God who doesn't punish arbitrarily, who doesn't enjoy the infliction of pain, and who doesn't like seeing people suffer. We see a God who constantly in the Bible, even in the midst of people's rebellion, tries to heal and to refine. But even if the worst case scenario happens and that's not possible, God's instinct is to walk away and let people have the choices they wanted, allow them to fall into sin and the consequences of death. What we can know about hell is that it's going to follow that model, which brings into question the question we asked earlier. How could God, a loving God, send people to hell? I'd like us to start by saying he doesn't. God doesn't actively send people to hell. Sin, like we talked about earlier, is a disease. It's a disease that has one outcome, death. God is a doctor who, with the price of his own blood, created a, a vaccine, a, a vaccination a medicine that could save us from this blight of sin. And with the expense of his own life, he paid a price that allowed us to live. But if we choose to disregard the medicine or push the doctor away, all we're left with is the death of sin. So on the day of judgment, as we are reaping the consequences of the sin disease that we have been riddled with, it would be foolish of us 
to point our fingers at God and say, how dare you do this to me? No, God tried only to save. And he watched heartbroken as we continually chose the disease that was killing us. So the first thing I'd like us to make remark of is we can't know about hell, but we can know about God. The second is that what we can know is that God is not going to be the one to send us to hell. And the third thing I'd like us to consider is what exactly is hell? From the way I see it in scripture, there are three views you can take. And I think all of them have pros and all of them have cons, but all of them are just opinions because we can't know for sure. You can have the view that hell is eternal, that it's void of God and the souls there live forever in agony. Not by God's choice, not even by God's volition, but just by the nature of sin and the nature of the soul. That an eternal soul has to live eternally. And if we reject life, then they have to live eternally in death. In this, in this form and fashion, it's not that God desires it, nor is it even that God causes it. It's definitely that God doesn't send people there, but rather it's just the outcome of free choice. The second view that you can hold is a view that says there is life and there is death. And if you choose life, you choose God, then you'll live eternally. But if you don't, then death is the only outcome. This view, often called conditional life or annihilationism, is the view that if you don't choose Christ, when the end of time comes, sin consumes you. And like God does throughout the Bible, he can't heal, he can't refine, so he just destroys. And so he walks away and lets our souls extinguish. The third view that we can have is something called universalism. Now, often this word is misunderstood. Universalism, according to the Bible, is that God tries to heal and to refine, even in hell to save the souls available. And that though there may be some souls who are burned away, there may be some that could be saved. And according to this view, it's possible, it's possible always that God can refine and heal, even in the afterlife. Now, in all three of these views, you're going to have problems, and in all three of these views, you're going to have a variety of scriptures to support or seemingly contradict you. But what I want us to be clear on is no matter what view of hell you have, it is very, very, very important that we all understand God is not responsible for sending people to hell. Sin is. God is not responsible for inflicting uh, death. Sin is. God is the great physician who with his own life was willing to save yours. That's the God we serve. We can't definitively know about the afterlife or hell or what the next stage will look like. What we can definitively know is that Jesus wants us to have life. Remember, our very first podcast, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is the father of lights from which comes every good and perfect gift. God is not dark. He is not evil. He does not desire pain. He comes so that you can have life and have it to the fullest. So why, how could a loving God send people to hell? The answer is he can't, and he doesn't. We choose it.
with our actions. Okay, thank you so much uh, for a little bit of a lengthier podcast, but I hope it was beneficial to you. I hope that uh, you consider this further, and if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I hope that you have a good rest of the week. God bless you, and go with God.